text for the sermon this morning comes from Isaiah 58. Isaiah 58, and we'll consider the first 12 verses. This is the living word of the living God. Cry aloud, spare not, lift up your voice like a trumpet. Tell my people their transgression and the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of their God. They ask of me the ordinances of justice. They take delight in approaching God. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. I will not fast as you do this day to make your voice heard on high. Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush? And to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast and an acceptable day to the Lord? Is this not the fast that I have chosen? To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, that you break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry, and that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out? When you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. You take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as a noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. It shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. We shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. Comfort, yes, comfort my people, says your God. Speak comfort to Jerusalem and cry out to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Those are the words that the Lord had commanded Isaiah to speak to Jerusalem after the Babylonian captivity. These are words that speak The gospel hope that the Lord had promised to Israel. A hope that indeed the Lord had forgiven and pardoned Israel's sins. And yet, 
After Isaiah was to lift up his voice on high to speak these great words of comfort in Isaiah 40, he's also instructed by God to warn Israel about their hypocritical religiosity. And those words of warning are found in our text in Isaiah 58. Isaiah is to, to cry aloud and spare not. He is to lift up his voice like a trumpet in order to tell God's people their transgression in the house of Judah, their sins. Comfort and conviction often go together. To truly experience comfort, we often need to experience conviction. It takes a really hot day of of working out in the sun. Working out in, in the heat to experience the, the cool and refreshing taste of a simple glass of water. Similarly, it takes being convicted of our sins by the hand of the Lord to truly know and appreciate the comfort that God's word gives to his people. Synod of the RPCNA has called for a day of prayer and fasting. This day of prayer and fasting has been called for in response to one of the uh, ecclesiastical trials that has recently occurred. And the directive that was given to the congregations in this denomination is that on this day of prayer and fasting, we would acknowledge that we all fall short of the glory of God. That we would commit ourselves to the blessedness of unity while seeking the healing of sinful divisions in pursuit of a loving fellowship of all believers. And finally, we would seek the peace and purity of the church in every thought, word, and deed. And Isaiah 58 so amply speaks to these directives for this day of prayer and fasting. Our, teaches, our text teaches us that true fasting is one that comes from the humility and contrition of a penitent heart. It comes from faith in the promise of God and results in changed behavior and actions towards our neighbor. This is a fast that not only and not even primarily humbles the body, but largely humbles the soul. This fast seeks the good and not the harm of one's neighbor. And so let us consider the fast that the Lord has chosen this morning. When we consider the Lord's admonition to Israel, You must see that Israel's problem was not that they weren't going to church and and worshiping God. It wasn't that they weren't praying every day. It wasn't even that they weren't reading the Word and doing their devotions each day. In fact, the Lord says Israel was faithful in seeking the Lord. Notice what verse 2 of Isaiah 58 says, Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinances of their God. Notice what Isaiah says there. Israel sought the Lord, and they sought the Lord daily. They were diligent, maybe even more diligent than some of you in their devotions. And they delighted 
to know God's ways. It wasn't begrudging to them. Their, their service of the Lord wasn't a chore to them. They, they delighted to do this. And Israel, Isaiah says, Israel was serving God as though it was a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God. If you look at them from an outward perspective, they look like the best of the best. They look like a people who, who truly loved God. Nothing could be said against their diligence in worshiping the Lord according to His Word. They offered sacrifices faithfully. They observed the feast days. And they even went to, to the extreme of fasting. These were indeed a, a religious people. Their service of the Lord was a counterfeit. They were like a bag of grapes you might get at Walmart. We all know the hard thing about buying grapes is you don't know if this bag will be a good bag or if it will be a bad bag. Sometimes you don't know until you get home and you, you taste grape and you realize, oh, this, 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 this was a really bad decision of me to, to buy these grapes. Uh, you, you can't tell a, a good grape from a bad grape unless you taste it. Israel, from every outward appearance, looked like they were a bag of good grapes. But they were actually bitter. They were not savory. And we see that partly in the fact that Israel was upset. We see that in, in verse 3. They question God. They ask Him, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen? Why have we afflicted our souls and you take no notice? Israel was upset because it did not seem like God was paying attention to their worship. Israel had a sense of entitlement in their worship of God. They thought of their worship in terms of a simple equation. If they worshiped God according to his word, then God had to respond to their worship by blessing them. And so, now we see what Israel truly delighted in when they worshipped God. Their only delight in worshipping God was coming from the expectation that God would do something for them. Israel wasn't delighting in God for who he was or what he had already done for them. No, they're, they're simply worshiping God almost in this, this prosperity, a gospel type mentality. I'll worship God because of all the benefits I get from God. I'll worship God because, because if I worship Him, supposedly He will give me nice things. So, they had a hypocritical mindset. And sometimes we can have a similar mindset when it comes to the worship of God. We know it's necessary to do our devotions. So we often do them out of compulsion and duty and even a hint of, of superstition. But we still do so expecting God to feed us in them. 
We'll go through all, all the outward motions. We'll open our Bible. We we'll, we'll, might even quit, pick, pick the, the shortest psalm just to get it over with. We will quickly read our Bible, get it over with, go through the motions, and then expect God to bless us. We offer distracted devotion and expect God to pour blessing upon us. We say our prayers hastily. Expect God to answer them as quickly as we said them. Come to worship without preparing for it. We come late to worship and continually get distracted. We might pay attention to the sermon, but our work stops at paying attention. We don't apply it prayerfully to our lives. Then we get discouraged and frustrated when there doesn't seem to be any blessing from the worship of God. We start asking God, why? Why have we done all this and you have not seen? We have looked pious. We looked like a person that did righteousness and did not forsake the ordinance of God, but we simply looked the part. And thus we don't experience blessing. And thus Israel didn't experience blessing. This was because going through the motions of worship, going through the motions of religiosity is no substitute for the true worship of the Lord. True worship comes from the heart and delights in worshiping God because of who he is and what he has done for his people. Even if one follows the letter of the regulative principle of worship, but their heart is not delighting in the worship of God and specifically delighting in the character of God, not just blessing we might get from worship, their worship is useless and vain. Worship that does not flow from the heart of faith is an abomination to the Lord. This was ultimately Israel's problem in Isaiah 58. They worshipped God to get something from Him. And when they did not get that thing from God that they desired, they became angry, they became frustrated. It's not the heart of someone who truly delights in the Lord. It was all about them and what they wanted. This comes out powerfully in verses 3 through 4, where we read of the hypocritical fasting of Israel. There we read, In fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and debate and just strike with the fist of wickedness. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said that you shall know them by their fruits. You will know a true believer by the fruits that they bear. You know a good tree from a bad tree by the fruit that it bears. You know a good grape from a bad grape by the way they taste in their mouth, in your mouth. One is delicious and sweet, and it is an enjoyment to eat. The other is bitter and disgusting and only good to spit out of your mouth. Similarly, you can tell the true worship of God from false worship by the fruit that it bears. The fruit that Israel was bearing in its worship was a disgusting fruit. 
It's one thing to hypocritically worship God, but still do good. But Israel was hypocritically worshiping God and exploiting their neighbor outside of worship. The text says that on their fast days, they forced their servants to work. They rested on these fast days and did their own pleasure. Sure, they they did not eat food on that day, but they found other ways to to amuse themselves. See, he's saying they're just going through the motions. They're, They're doing the bare minimum. They obeyed aspects of the letter of the law, but they did not obey the spirit of the law. It's like going to church as one big happy family on Sunday and then going home and abusing your wife and children. It's like going to the Lord's Supper and and communing with the saints, but when you get home, slandering them, mocking them, complaining about what someone has said or did. It's like praying for a member of a church during the prayer meeting, and then gossiping about that same person to your friends. It's like telling people you're a Christian, then, but then shirking from the responsibilities and duties that your employer has called you to. Israel fasted. They went and observed these, these religious acts. Then they went and exploited their neighbors. In doing so, they were hypocritically fasting. And it's no wonder that the Lord does not bless such worship. Not only is that a sinful way to worship God, but the result of sinful worship will be more sin. The Lord says in verse 4 that they fasted for the purpose of strife and debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. This was the result of their fasting. Fasting is supposed to be a humbling of ourselves. The truly humble soul will not be entitled. It will not be demanding. It will not strike with a fist of wickedness. A humble soul will seek the peace, the love, and the good of the brethren. That sin should not be creating strife. There should be no spirit of debating the soul of the one who fasts. These are serious red flags. One says he's fasting, and these are the fruits that are coming out of that fast. See, when we fast, we are afflicting our bodies by not eating, by withholding food and drink to a certain degree from ourselves. And the result of withholding food from ourselves is not necessarily that we suddenly become more pious and holy. Rather, in in this withholding, we are humbling ourselves. It is a preparation for us to be more attentive and ready to hear the word of God and pray. This took me a while to understand. I, I would fast and I would feel miserable. I'd be like, this isn't working at all. Well, this is the, the exact opposite of, of, of what should be happening when I, I fast. So we, we often expect when, when we fast, well, there will be this direct, all of a sudden I'll be on this, this tier of, of piety, this, this tier of holiness. 
That's not what happens. We withhold nourishment from ourselves and suddenly become maybe a bit grumpy, maybe a bit moody. That's that humbling of ourselves. As As that happens to us, we should be more ready to hear what God's Word says about us. To hear that God's Word indeed says that we are sinners. That we have broken the law of God. That makes us so much more inclined and ready to hear the good news of the gospel that Jesus Christ came to save us from our sins. Fasting is this humbling of our bodies that should produce this humbling of our souls as we see our own sinfulness and wickedness, as we see our utter dependence and our need of God. As we see that, we go to the one who has redeemed us. We go, we draw near to the Lord in prayer, seeking Him, seeking the strength and grace that comes from Him alone. That is what fasting should be doing. But Israel's fast was simply external. It started with withholding food, and it ended with that. It didn't get any deeper than that. Do not make it to the heart. And thus the Lord asks Israel in verse 5, Is it a fast that I have chosen? A day for a man to afflict his soul? Is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day to the Lord? The Lord asks that question. Do you have the root issue with Israel? The easy way to fast is to simply afflict the body. It's easy to bow your head like, like a bulrush. A bulrush is, is very similar to a cattail. You know, that, that reed-like plant with, with that brown uh, furry thing on top. And in the wind, it'll, it'll start bowing its head. It'll start, it's very top-heavy. It'll start falling over. It's easy to walk around all day like this. No, I'm fasting, I'm fasting. Look at me for, for my piety. It's easy to put on ratty-looking clothes. It's easy to throw dust and ashes over your head. It's easy to just not eat for a day. I mean, that's one of the um, more popular forms of diet right now, intermittent fasting. So that, that's not the fast that the Lord has chosen fast that the Lord has chosen. It's a fast that afflicts the heart, that afflicts the soul, that is a, a true humbling. The Lord does not have delight in, in merely external worship. Instead, the Lord says in Joel 2, Turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. And so rend your heart and not your garments. 
That is the fasting that the Lord delights in, is that rending of the heart and not just the garments. And so when we worship the Lord, whether corporately, whether in our families, whether in private, let us be sure that such worship comes from the heart. And when we fast this week, if if you're able to fast, be sure that you're not just going through the motions, not just abstaining from food and saying some half-hearted prayers, but let us truly humble ourselves before God, confessing our sins. Let us acknowledge that indeed we all fall short of the glory of God, and let us understand what that truly means. Let's not think ourselves better than anyone else. Let us have a true knowledge of our sinfulness. Spend time praying through the Ten Commandments. Pray through the Lord's Prayer. Keep God's Word open before you. And let that Word speak to your heart. Because the fast the Lord has chosen is to loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burdens, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke. The fast that the Lord has chosen is to share your bread with the hungry, that you bring to your house the poor who are cast out when you see the naked, that you cover him and not hide yourself from your own flesh. See, the fast that the Lord has chosen is one that translates itself into renewed piety and love for our neighbor. These are the godly fruits of one who truly fasts. And therefore, in the directive that we are given for this fast from the synod, so that we are to commit ourselves to the blessedness, we are to bear these fruits, we are to commit ourselves to the blessedness of unity while seeking this healing of sinful divisions and pursuit of the loving fellowship of all believers. And we are to seek the peace and purity of the church in every thought, word, and deed. There's one way you can tell hypocritical fast from the fast that the Lord has chosen. At the end of that fast, did you grow in your love for God and your neighbor? Did that growth translate itself from heart to hands, from desire to action? The fast of the Lord has chosen will be a means of grace in your sanctification. It may look like you have finally forgiven someone who asked you to forgive him years ago. May look like lifting up your voice in prayer and action to help those who are oppressed and hurting. There are many who experience injustice in this world, and the church has a wonderful opportunity to speak for and protect such people, to be a voice of justice and a defense for such people. Just think of all the unborn children who are aborted. Think of the women who are abused by wicked and vile men. These women need godly men and women to help and support them. The fruit of such a fast may look like protecting the good name of your neighbor, not allowing yourself or anyone else to harm their name through gossip or slander. But the fruit of a true fast also means the undoing of of the burdens of legalism and antinomianism. 
so many people who are in bondage to the law. And they obey the law out of fear. Or they run from the law out of fear, despising the good commandments of God. Neither group knows the true freedom that they have in Christ. They do not know that they no longer have to obey the law out of fear, but that in Christ they can rejoice in that law. And the true freedom that obedience to Christ brings. Fast of the Lord is one that breaks these burdensome yokes and tells people the freedom they have in Christ. That they no longer have to obey the law to earn standing with God. But that their righteousness comes from Christ and that they now can obey the law out of thankfulness and gratitude to Him. So the fast the Lord has chosen is something that is delightful because in it we we draw closer to God. We draw closer to the God of our salvation who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abundant in steadfast love. Fasting also means that you may give the resources that you're typically going to use on the day of your fast to someone who is desperately in need. Maybe this looks like making a meal for someone in the church who has had a rough year or a rough week. Maybe it means making a meal for one of your neighbors and opening up an opportunity to share with them the gospel. Or building a relationship with them. Fast that the Lord has chosen because it is a humbling of oneself, because it is a fast that focuses on confessing one's sinfulness and trusting the promises of God for salvation, will bear the fruits of godly living. There the Lord promises incredible blessing to such fasting. And we can indeed expect blessing from the Lord if we fast in faith, delighting the character of God. Because the Lord is not stingy. The Lord delights to bless the people that draw near to Him in prayer, that long to confess their own sinfulness and trust in Him for salvation. The Lord is pleased to to comfort those who are not entitled, but rather are humble and reliant upon Him for every good thing. Thus the Lord says in verse 8, Then your light shall break forth like the morning. Your healing shall spring forth speedily. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Here the Lord promises that when one truly fasts, the Lord will draw near to them and clear and beautiful ways. He will be their righteousness which shall go before them. And He will cause His glory to follow them and be their rear guard. The imagery is that of the Lord surrounding His people. And this is a, a picture of uh, uh, imagery that's reminiscent of the Exodus. Of the Lord surrounding His people. Of that cloud which protected Israel during the day and that pillar of fire by night. 
If you need incentive to fast, let this be the motivation that encourages you to do so. Consider the awesome blessing of the Lord and His glory going before you and being your rear guard. Protecting you from the attacks of the enemy. Protecting you from the attacks of of your flesh and of the world and of Satan. This is the character of our great God towards His people. In response to Something as simple as a penitent and believing heart. The Lord pours out the abundant blessing of himself upon his people. The Lord does not require impressive acts or years of penance before he pours out blessing. He simply requires the humbling of his people, of his people coming before them in faith and repentance. When they do that, in that day, you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. Here I am. The promise that believers have as they fast is that the Lord will respond to being near, will respond by being near to his people and declaring to them, Here I am. That filled in wonderful and beautiful ways with the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, who tabernacled among, among us. And was Emmanuel God with us? And blessing doesn't stop there either. Verse 11 says, The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. You shall be like watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. When we come to the Lord in faith, He promises to continually, not just for a while, but continually guide His people like a shepherd would guide a flock of sheep. He would lead them in pastures and bring them to refreshing waters. Do so and satisfy their souls in drought. In times of spiritual dryness, the Lord will water you and make you refreshed and restored. It truly is refreshing that comes from the hand of the Lord when you fast. The imagery is striking that the Lord uses here. When somebody fasts, they withhold food from their body. But notice what the blessing is. The blessing is that your bones will be strengthened. And literally, the the idea is that of, of fat surrounding your bones. When you fast, it might feel like your body is going through a drought, but the Lord promises to satisfy your soul. This is the refreshing promised at the hand of the Lord. It's like that thunderstorm we had, uh, I think, last week. After months of intense heat and dryness, it uh, finally rained. And all of us were refreshed by that rain. Those who fast, who fast in faith, believing in the Lord and looking to the Lord for salvation. The Lord promises abundant blessing. 
promises refreshments. This is the heart of God towards those who come before him in humility and and repentance. He delights to pour blessing upon them. Those who fast in faith will be called the repairer of the breach. There will be those who heal the broken wall such that judgment no longer enters. They will be the restorer of streets to dwell in. They bring lasting peace and prosperity, generational peace and prosperity to the people of God. And the person who did this in perfect and amazing ways is the Lord Jesus Christ. He stood as the repairer of the breach. He stood as our mediator purchasing redemption for us. And and he restored the streets for us to dwell in. And so when we fast, we are imitating our perfect Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. And so let us fast as the Lord has directed us. Let us do the fast the Lord has chosen. Let us fast knowing the goodness of our God and his mercy towards us. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we come before you. And Lord, what blessing and delight you promise your people as they cry out to you in faith. Lord, we pray that you would ever strengthen us. That you would strengthen our faith. That we not simply outwardly worship you, but we would worship you from the heart, delighting in your goodness, delighting in your salvation. Lord, we pray that as we fast and pray to you, that you would hear our cries, that you would grow us in a love for you and a love for our neighbor. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.